Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode one, uh, let me see, 152 of the Galen Trombley Show. My guest today, been trying to get her on for a while, finally roped her in, and I'm excited <laughs> that she's here. Uh, one of my favorite people, um, always have good conversations, so we figure we'll let you guys listen in on a fun conversation that she self-proclaimed. Well, basically, we just hang out and we just shoot the breeze, shoot the shit, whatever you want to call it, and we're here today to do just that. Um, good friend, Karen Dispo Daboos. 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 And I always, yes, I always say Daboos. Uh, wife of Craig Daboos. Yeah, the famous Australian. In the, yep, the uh, the famous Australian, also um, uh, alumni, alumnus of the Galen Trombley Show multiple times. Been on a few of them. Was the guy that introduced me to uh, this really nasty tasting thing. Oh, it's completely disgusting. You know what it's called? Vegemite. Vegemite. <laughs> and I thought I was going to die. So that is, um, this is Craig's. Better half. Better half that would not potentially put me on death row with Vegemite. But Karen. Yes. How you doing? Welcome. Good. Welcome. Thank you for finally having me. It's like I know it's been forever. Well, and I think rumor mill I heard was that you didn't come on before because you didn't think you had anything to talk about. And I had someone come on last one. I was talking about Anna and Alexis. And Alexis goes... I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. I'm like, why? She goes, I don't even know why you're having me here. I just, I basically asked my way on. I'm like, okay, I can talk to anybody about anything. I got the gift of gab, gift of blarney, whatever you want to call it. So you definitely will have stuff to talk about. I've already read through some of this stuff, kind of glanced through it, but it already makes my head spin. So I'm sure you can uh, expand on this, but Karen, for mm-hmm. people that do not know you, yes, who are you? I am... Uh, North Country resident. I'm actually the executive director, newly minted executive director for Literacy Volunteers of Clinton, Essex, and Franklin. We're a direct services, literacy services nonprofit. Um, I am a wife to probably, I don't know, is there another Australian in town? I think I He's only... the, If there is, I only, I, on, I only acknowledge Craig as the Australian. Oh, okay. He's and my token Australian. He is, he is our token Australian. I have, we have three boys. Um, two of which are now in high school. So our middle son is entering his freshman year, which is kind of scary. And we've got a, a, a seven-year-old who's in second grade. Oh my God, I had to think about that. That's all right. <laughs> it's almost a changing of the season for the, for the school year. So that's when everybody starts adding like what year they're going into exactly. is now what they actually are. My little guy's going into preschool, oh, which means already? that, yeah, which now means I'm like, I'm tweaking, I'm tweaking my morning schedule, which now includes drop-off. Oh yeah. So it's getting real, like getting on full dad mode now. It's really, honestly, it's drop off is kind of like uh, Mad Max. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen Mad Max? I have. When I, 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 it's actually the new or the old one or both. Well, you know, I've seen both, but honestly, I like uh, drop off and pick up to Thunderdome. Honestly. (laughs) Well, so I watched with the new one that came out recently within the last five years or so. Mm -hmm. I never saw the old one. 
some friends were watching it. I started watching it. What is the point of that movie? It's just an apocalyptic kind of film where, you know, what if, right? What if the world completely decimates onto itself and just it's it's kind of one of those things where you're like oh what if you know like what are they like water world <laughs> <laughs> but so all i remember about mad mad max was that they basically took a caravan of vehicles out through the desert right to turn around and come straight back well pretty much Did I, mi- I might have missed some stuff in it but it really just felt like they were just going out for like a long road trip and coming back and not really doing much Clearly, you've never seen Australian films. <laughs> no, I mean, this was, there was like people hanging from the front, all these like kind of crazy looking people or like right. things. I don't even know if they were people, monsters, whatever. Right. It was a pretty like intense movie, but it just felt like the storyline was like, I guess there's like beginning, middle and end, but it just felt like the whole thing was just like, it's like when a, t- like a Quentin Tarantino film where there's a lot of stuff going on, but like 90% doesn't matter. Right. And then he just slugs you at the end with all the stuff and you're like, oh wow, that was a great movie. Yeah. Because the buildup. Yeah, I, I, like real Jian, and then just like finally get you. Yeah, I, I, I guess there's it's a an, specific audience that they're looking for that enjoy the Mad Maxes. Yeah, there, there's a lot of action, just kind of over. Like I, I sometimes I take that stuff too literal, and I was like, they drove out and drove back, like it just doesn't make much sense. But I mean, they, they did well at the box office, and people liked it. It's like the Transformers or Fast and the Furious or the the eighteen Pirates of the uh, Caribbean. It's like. <laughs> How many more times can like Johnny Depp go out like in a Sea World, coral reef, whatever, and find like Davy Jones and all these people? Oh, I know. But they can do it. They can. A lot of CGI. I'm sure that there'll be more. <laughs> so, um, how did you get to Plattsburgh? Uh, my parents brought us here. I actually, um, my mom and dad came here from the Philippines when I was a kid, and then they, my dad's a doctor here in town, and we. Actually, a majority of my youth was in Connecticut, and my dad got hired by CVPH, and I came here as a kid. And that's how I ended up in Plattsburgh, through the, the CVPH. How old were you when you moved here? Uh, about mm, 12. So you graduated school here? Yeah. Where'd you go to school? Well, you... I'm going to date myself. Pretty much Seton. Okay. Good Pretty enough. Pretty much Seton. Good, Good enough. enough. Okay. That's it. Yes. The history of Seton. We know the history so, of Seton. Um, and, okay, so you came from the Philippines. You were born in the Philippines? Right. Okay. Yes. Both your parents from Philippines? Yes, they okay. are. Okay. And moved here now, perfect segue. You were a literacy or the executive director of the literacy volunteers of Clinton Essex and Franklin County. Mm-hmm. How was your English when you moved here? In the Philippines, uh, English is a, is actually taught in the schools okay. because of the uh, World War II and the occupation of uh, the American military in the Philippines. So it would be uh, difficult for you to find a Filipino that had very little or if, if no English speaking skills. So when you came over, you're fairly fluent in yeah. English. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the transition was easy. Right. It was. Now, do you find that your current position, because you do, you do deal with a lot of, like you, you're just talking before we went on, um, talking about people coming in here, immigrants coming over, do you find a connection to them and kind of like one of a, almost like Absolutely. a, something that like, Hey, I, I understand the struggle of someone coming from a different country and having, you know, being able to kind of bridge that gap and kind right. of like re, yeah, kind of restart a little bit in certain things. Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, first of all, we have uh, three basic categories of, of 
of what we call them learners, uh, clients that we serve. English as a second language, people who are new to the United States. We have um, basic education, basic learners, people who struggle with literacy um, and illiteracy. And we also uh, are working towards family literacy. The Dollywood Foundation Imagination Library mm -hmm. is a program that we manage. Um, it's a program where children birth to five receive books monthly. Um, and they uh, get them in the mail, and it just helps promote the love of reading and also helps to prepare uh, literacy prior to entering pre-K. Uh, they graduate into kindergarten, and, and then uh, the books stop. Well, the, uh, so my, all three of my kids have it, Yay. and I absolutely love it. And the, it's fun. I mean, now we're at different ages with my son, who's going to be turning four, Seeing his comprehension of books now and starting to see my daughter who's two and starting to see her kind of pick up on sounds and, you know, you'll start reading and you might stop at a word and then she'll say the word because she's heard it so many times. She knows what the word is, but trying to get her used to, to uh, getting involved more with the books and, and he's getting to the point now where he's asking questions about the book. Otherwise, so the book we just got was The Beach is Loud or something like mm -hmm. that and a little boy goes to the beach with his dad and he basically doesn't like all the sounds, like all the people and the splashing and just like the chaos and right. they find a nice quiet spot on the beach and they, you know, build the castle and he gets a lot of fun with his dad and then basically he's like, when can we go back then? And he starts being loud because now he's like rambunctious and it's kind of a, a cute little story and, but now like crews ask him like, well, what's that? What's that? What's right. that? And um, just seeing over the, like we read every night, like every night before bed, we've been reading to them since they were, I mean, to the point where we got to the, where you we're able to read to them usually when they're little, you know, Gina would be, you know, getting them ready for bed and feeding them and putting them to bed and there's just not much going on. But as they get a little bit older, it's like every night there's a book. Right. And it's fun. And I see the growth. So to me, your job from that perspective is incredible. Oh, thanks. I, it, and I think that is exactly the point is that they peak, that the curiosity that the children get through the books. Uh, they begin to learn phonics and they learn about narrative and they learn about stories and it's important because it prepares them for prepping them for education. And unfortunately, um, in our community, there are children who don't have exposure to books. Actually, Karen, can you just move that up? No, oh. you, you can move it. Yeah, slide over. Okay. There you go. Just tilt it up a little bit. There. Perfect. There. Okay. Um, I, f I think that children anywhere you know it, books are opens up their imagination i mean lavar burton you know reading rainbow it it's a basic learning block to fundamental literacy and if we get them young then they will continue on that path towards literacy um i mean obviously in throughout history there's different situations where literacy becomes a problem because of um a war or a depression, or, you know, right now we're experiencing it through COVID. Mm -hmm. um, we're finding that some children, because remote learning is an incredible thing, I am not gonna knock it, I appreciate every single administrator and teacher out there, but it also puts a lot of stress on parents that, you know, you don't want these kids to fall behind. And also it's really difficult because they don't have the socialization mm -hmm. and they don't have that camaraderie with other kids that encourages them towards, you know, learning. And uh, the Imagination Library 
was a way to begin to introduce that um, uh, books, essentially. Uh, we, we, in our organization, like I said, we, we serve a whole array of different learners, but if you get them young, then maybe we can bypass that. And also the thing about the Imagination Library is we also capture grandparents that may have issues with literacy, parents that may have issues with literacy. And sometimes we see the kids teaching their grandparents. Um, and, you know, recently um, we have a program called the Conversation Group, and it's been on Zoom, but we have English as a second language learners come in and converse so that they can not only read in English, but be able to speak English. And um, recently during a Zoom, we had a, a grandchild helping her grandparents uh, with pronunciation. So it's an intergenerational effort. I always, just hearing you say that, I always, there's times I catch myself, I think that like in life, and I'm guilty of this too. Everybody just gets caught up in just mm -hmm. the craziness of the day. And, and I mean, like I said, I think just no fault of people. It's just we get in this kind of like, you know, like, like ants just kind of going and doing your thing every single day. And we talk about just based, based down to the simplest. We talk about like need versus want. Most people have wants in life, not really needs. Like mm -hmm. the needs are very, most of our needs are very um, basic, but very fundamental. Like how's like, you know. Like you said, being able to read, being able to eat, being able to like be dry and be under cover and safety. Um, and you talk about someone teaching someone how, like a grandparent, how to read. You just simplify that all down to there's like one of the basic skills you actually need. You don't need, you know, you don't need to have, you know, something at the fingertips on a, on a cell phone because you need it right now. But like, it's kind of cool to hear you say that, like taking like a very, like even talking right now and reading is like the two basic things of communication. And it. Like I said, someone older that can't do that. I mean, I just think that's kind of incredible that younger, you're skipping probably two, three generations right. at that point. And also you have to understand that, and I know that uh, um, as far as our immigrant, our newly minted immigrants or immigrants that are coming to America, a lot of them actually have education from their native countries. So it's not that they can't learn. It's just that they have to learn something new. And I find that incredibly, inc just, it's, humbling for us that you know recently we had a learner that came in and she's an amazing person and she was an attorney in her native country but she came here and she she can't speak English so you know that's humbling to me that this person who was so active in their own language and and they come here and they're they're seeking help but a lot of times with um with what we do we meet everybody from every walk of life and it's, you know, we meet them with, with compassion and, and dignity. And it's, sometimes it's, it's a little humbling for us as a staff. Uh, and, and again, COVID didn't do anybody any favors because uh, as you're talking about earlier, one thing that we've discovered is COVID has kicked over a lot of rocks. People are discovering what they're lacking. Can you imagine? Like exposing people. Well, no, no, no. And the fact that um, we have people who are unable to read and can't get on a Zoom because they don't know oh. the instructions. You know, um, people who are trying to fill out applications for, I don't know, um, a job, and they can't because they can't read English. So it's, 
absolutely fascinating to uh, be able to help these people reach their goals. What what uh, what percent of the population, um, like we'll say let's say adults are illiterate. That is a really difficult. I, I know it's tough because it's regional. It's you know could be could be cultural. Could be. And that's the thing too. It's unfortunately literacy issues. People who suffer from illiteracy. It's kind of something that people can hide really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, they memorize words and they can't comprehend them, and they can function in the world and maneuver in the world. But, I mean, there are educational statistics, and, and unfortunately, we've been looking for those statistics, but they haven't really been updated, and I think that they're probably, um, they're due. But um, you'll find that a lot of people won't admit that they have difficulty with literacy. But um, a lot of times, it might be a life-altering situation in which they realize, yeah, I, I do need to develop this skill what's the average age of people that you work with or what actually the average age or range of people it, honestly it's kind of hard to say right now just at this moment i would say a majority of our our learners are within the 40 to 55 age range mm-hmm. however we have one learner in her 80s we've got a learner in his 20s so um, it's kind of hard to say specifically. And, and kind of what's the background of these individuals? They come... Like immigrants? Or are they just people that didn't have the opportunity to get educated? Unfortunately, um, sometimes poverty and illiteracy go hand in hand because if they have to go to work early or they get frustrated in school and they don't have the resources to, um, you know, they have to provide for their families. Mm-hmm. Uh and also, it's sometimes it's a matter of if they have a, a reading disability, they get frustrated and they leave school because they don't think they can do it. Uh, and later on in life, they realize this is something that they have, they have t- they're up against. They can't, um, they can't just maneuver in the world without having the ability to read. And one other thing I'd like to say is that we also work with math literacy. And we're working on computer literacy because one thing that we um, offer also is is help with the high school equivalency test, and that means that you have to do reading is and that math. G- GD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you have to pass both sections with the reading and the math in order to get your GED. And so we do have um, we have some learners that we work with for math literacy as well. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of it too is is how you grow up. It's your surroundings. So it's, again, we're teaching our kids to read. Like if they mm-hmm. didn't have that, and then think about they don't go, somehow don't go to school, or you know, and they're not giving the opportunity to people that are showing because someone has to show you how to do it. It's like anything else. Like right. so, if you don't have people stepping up, and which is for most people when you're young, it's mom and dad or parents or whatever. They're the ones that are the ones that try to push you. You know, here's a book. Let's read. Let's go to school. And then you know, in the school system, and you're just reading throughout. So it's like you know, I know. I don't think twice about reading when I was a kid. It's just something you did. It was like, you know, and a lot of people don't have that advantage. Um, or, you know, if, if you're not lucky enough to grow up in a family that has, that wants to teach you or can teach you, like you said, right. or, you know, there's just, I mean, things happen to so many different people. And it's just reading. When I remember when I first talked to you about this position, that you, or the one you're in now, it's like, it was one where I'm like, I didn't even realize that existed. 
And, and it's just, and when you talk about like, yeah, well, people come over second language and then people come over for G, or GEDs and people mm-hmm. come over and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like, duh, that makes sense. But for some reason, it just never crossed my mind. There's so many things out there that just I'm unaware of. And I think a lot of people are like, I mean, how long now, how long has Literacy Volunteers been around this chapter or this organization? Uh, the Literacy Volunteers of Clinton County has been around since 1972. It was founded by an amazing woman named Polly Parsons, and it has grown and morphed. Uh, we merged with Clinton, I'm sorry, Essex Franklin, the Literacy Volunteers of Essex Franklin last November. And so we're serving a larger geographic area, which is an amazing opportunity uh, for us as an organization because we can pull our resources and we have you know, an opportunity to cross over uh, different areas. I mean, we have some uh, tutors and learners in, say, Saranac Lake, and then they have know somebody in Essex Franklin and they refer that learner to us down in Essex through a family connection. And so we can greater serve them uh, by centralizing all of our 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 systems so what what is i mean now that you've been involved uh, for a handful of months now like what's your kind of what's your vision right now for this for this organization like how coming in again being an outsider now you're in you're you're mm-hmm. in it um very much in it right now um like what's the goal for the the group or what's the evolution that you guys are going to hopefully experience what what we want to do is we want to be able to serve our communities and create a network with other organizations and, and we've been working uh, by meeting a lot of our fellow agencies and town, other organizations like ARC and uh, this morning I was on a Zoom call for the Clinton Essex Franklin Library Systems. I mean it's my vision is you know being able to refer to other agencies and them referring to us so that everybody doesn't work in a silo. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as our programming, I would love to expand our family family literacy programming. Um, and But right now, our focus is on adult learners, uh, one step at a time. I think that, you know, as we grow, then we can start adding programs. Um, my vision for the future is that when people think of literacy services and support and, and tutoring, that they think of us. Uh, that they also know that they can come to us and we will um, be able to, to refer them to other agencies to help them meet their goals. I think it, it's definitely one of those uh, organizations that could be, um, what's the word, uh, say like a co-agency, but so, like collaboration, like right. collaboration amongst other uh, organizations of I think, I think a lot like shared services and shared, right. you know, shared ideas and shared resources of the, just being able, a lot of people are doing the same thing in a different way. Right. So you're trying to improve someone's life in one thing, which could be reading. Another thing could, you know, I, I mean, it, there's a whole bunch of, I mean, I'm just saying like just basic skills like writing and, and skill. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do writing at all? We do. We do all forms of literacy, reading, writing, um, conversation, like verbal uh, literacy. Uh, what you're saying was really interesting, though, as far as um, the shared services. I think that it's really important that we um, pool our resources and identify what every agency does best mm-hmm. and being able to work with each other. Um, you know, one agency, like I said earlier, that we um, that we work with is JCEO. Uh, we work with Plattsburgh Cares. We work with a lot of different... Um, agencies in town um, in, in our region 
so that we can help each person um, with what they need. Uh, it, it's interesting because literacy, youth, it's a very broad term, but it's an absolutely necessary skill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's communication. I think, it I think is, said, even it's if it's it. verbal communication. Um, now, nonprofit, how long have you been in the nonprofit world? Um, I have been in and around nonprofit for quite a while. Um, I used to be at the um, Asian American Journalists Association. I've always volunteered one way or another. I was at the Strand Center for the Arts for a little while. Shout out. I absolutely love that org. Um, and right now, um, I've only been there since May, but I've been doing it uh, 20 years, maybe. What do you think got you into that? Because most of your life has been, you know, like I said, at least working life has been that, you know, it's like. Nonprofits. I think, honestly, you know what? I, it's funny. I was just telling one of my staff this morning. When I was growing up, I wanted to be an investigative journalist. <laughs> okay. It was one of those things. And it just kind of morphed into, all right. Um, and then I wanted to go to law school. Didn't go to law school. Uh, but just wanting to help people and and make the world a better place. I have to say that it's working in a nonprofit is a labor of love. You know, mm -hmm. it's, I, I have a joke with, with Craig. I said, yeah, you, you work to support my nonprofit habit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, well, you look at like social work and stuff. It's like it people is. that go to social work and you get degrees in it. And it's one of those things like you got to really love it because you know that the payoff is not, you know, you're not doing it for financial gain. You're, no. you're doing it for the love of whatever you're doing. I had a friend, um, she kind of works in like, you know, social programs and uh, absolutely great girl, heart of gold. And I remember her going for college for it. And of course, your initial thought is like, okay, I mean, you're, you know, going to school, you're getting into, you know, a lot of debt to get a degree where you know you're going to be, you know, not rolling in dough, but for her, it's making the difference. And I've seen her do, like, I've seen the love she's had for, you know, and seen stuff that she's done. And, and I know it gives her definitely fulfillment in her life, which at the end of the day, especially as you get older, I think that becomes more and more apparent that like, Hey, that's what I'm actually chasing mm -hmm. versus, you know, when you're a kid and you're young, you don't know what you're doing. And, um, we start talking about nonprofit and making the, making the world a better place kind of thing. It's like that stuff every year, especially the last like handful of years has gotten stronger and stronger in me where, you know, you kind of look at like, all right, there's a lot of people. Your eyes start opening up to things. And you're like, okay, there's a lot going on. And then you start realizing the synergy of everything. Of right. like, this helps this, helps this, helps this, and then comes back to help you. And, and not a selfish way, but just of like, you got everybody's got to be kind of roll or uh, turn in the wheel kind of thing to make the world happen. And, um, you know, I find, you know, people that are in nonprofits, like some of the hardest working people are in that for some of the most thankless but most fulfilling work. Mm-hmm. You're not uh, gonna do. You're not gonna get rich working a nonprofit, but you will, you know, be very fulfilled. Mm -hmm. uh, nonprofit work is one of the things where it, everybody that works in there has a passion for their mission, and there's a reason they got into it. Um, I, I just thought about another reason why I got into nonprofit work is because there's always been a need, right? Everyone needs, oh, everyone has a thing, right? Something that that may need help with. And um, I, I think that if you ask for help, 
there's usually an organization that can help you. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, I can't remember the statistics specifically, but nonprofit, uh, the, the sector is one of the fastest and biggest growing sectors in the employment work in the workforce today. Uh, there's a lot of nonprofits that have been around for decades and new that are cropping up. Um, but there's usually a, an organization that can help you with something that you need. Why do you think there's such a growth in nonprofit right now? Um, nonprofits, it's funny you say that, um, nonprofits came about because the government can't do everything, right? The, they can help, but there are specific organizations with specific skills that can help people in need uh, or that have a need. Um, nonprofit organizations are basically a support to uh, governmental agencies, and we work hand in hand. Um, I think that there's a need because, again, the government can't do it all. You know. Um, it. So you got a bachelor of arts degree in English literature and art history. So, uh-huh. kind of stripping that farther back, going into. Like, what was the goal? Was that because you wanted to go to law school? Was that kind of like... That was part of it. I mean, I wanted to do the law school thing. I wanted to do the investigative journalism thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm actually almost almost done with my master's in nonprofit management, um, hopefully graduating in December. Um, but I think stripping that back as far as um, what motivated me to to get in the industry. I actually wasn't always a nonprofit. I used to work in business. Um, I used to work in ad sales. I I say, we'll to... get into that. Yeah, uh... you, you can mention now if you want, because that's, that's uh... where we definitely, I think, really connected, because right. helping me out, yeah. Um, I think that after being in the corporate world for so long, I just felt like, you know, I can use these skills. I can utilize them in, in an organization that I can help move forward. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think that my education has kind of brought me to where I am now. Um, do you still write a lot? Yeah, I do. I mean, just for like pleasure or do you do, I mean, for work obviously and stuff, but do you do, I mean, just for fun, do you write? I journal. Yeah. I do. I, I, I journal. Um, I probably don't read and read books and write as much as I'd like. Do, Do you journal, is, do you journal thoughts? Do you journal, do you document days? Do you? It's it's very stream of consciousness. Um, I I will write about how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I will write about my day. I will write about something that's impacting me at that time. Mostly for me to be able to look back on it and kind of figure out what got me to where I am now. You know, like if I'm having a bad day, how did I re- how did I react to that day? What uh do you do it every day? No, I would say when the spirit moves me, which is less time now but um, I think that it's really important to be able to catalog and document how you're feeling and thinking now when did you start that oh I started it when I was a child so the reason I ask I've I've thought the longest time about and I've never done it but of writing in a journal every day not necessarily like I think the thoughts would come out what you're feeling but more of like documenting my life like Mm -hmm. I did this today did that today so my mom, when I was a kid, she started journaling for all of us. So she journaled every single day up until I was like 18. And she, then a couple years ago, and I haven't, I've read pages of it. I haven't read the whole thing. Um, she gave me probably five, six, seven notebooks of days. So when I had 
And I thought it was pretty cool because you can't think of half that stuff. Half the stuff go, you know, mem- your memory fades. And I, I wish I would have just kept it up. So I had all my 20s and my 30s. And mm-hmm. so part of me is like, should I just start now? Why not? Because it's like, if I don't start now and I just start too late, then at least I'll have my 30s to talk about. But um, since my kids were born, every single kid, so my son was born Christmas Day of 2017. Prior to that, I probably made three or four entries leading up to it. More of like, hey, Gina went to the doctor's appointment and you just kind of write in what happened that day. So in that every day, unless Gina made some, um, you know, mention of something of like, hey, this happened to me because of the pregnancy. I usually didn't document it. They, he's had a journal entry every day since December 25th, 2017. And every kid since the last two all have journal entries. So what happened was I was handwriting his day in a book every single day. And then I got to the point where I had my daughter. I started doing the journal entry because my wife a lot of times will text me their day because I'm not with them all the time. So she she is and she'll text me. This is what they did today. And so then I got to the point where I'm like, listen, it's not. So about a year and a half ago or two, almost two years ago now, I then started taking her writing, copying and pasting it into like a Word doc, kind of editing it down a little bit and adding anything that I could add. But we have a, there's literally a journal entry every single day since December 25th, 2017. I haven't missed one. I've legit not have missed a day. But now we're getting to the point where we're just talking about the entire day is all three kids. So all okay. three kids have kind of merged into one big one. But my oldest will actually have a, like at least, I think I might have went through the whole book or one book of at least the first, but it's all in my handwriting. But that's something that's kind of cool. And I go more in depth, I think, than my mom did. Because a lot of it's like what they did and what they said and, and like little things that hopefully in the future they may never read it, but they'll have it and then say, this is literally every single day of your life up to probably, I'm going to do it at least till they probably get 18, 19, leave the house whenever. But that's the journaling I do is for my kids. I don't right. journal myself and I probably should, but. One interesting evolution that I found with our boys is journaling has now become photography pictures yeah. of my kids yeah. i find that it's easier i snap a particular moment you know uh, with the boys uh, a, a snapshot in time of our lives instead of writing it down mm-hmm. um i do wish that um with our first son i had a journal of like my entire pregnancy mm-hmm. and then i had their 15 months apart so then the second kid came along and didn't quite have as much time and by the time our our little honey badger our <laughs> Our little seven-year-old came around. You know, it was just, I I snap hundreds of pictures of my kids during the week. Yeah. And it it jogs my memory. It's kind of a visual journal. Have you ever used Evernote? I've seen it, but I've never used it. So I've, what I was thinking about doing was taking, same thing, my wife takes photos all day. I get photos throughout the day. I get Snapchats that I screenshot. Like I, I, I would say in a day I add anywhere from, I'd say five to eight photos to my photo album. So you can take on Evernote, you can insert photos into it. Now I can mm-hmm. probably do it in Word doc, but this is a little cleaner, so it's not like the formatting's better. So I've been thinking about doing that. So then every journal entry, any photos I got that day, I just dump the photos on. So if they That's actually were going, idea. then I'd be like, okay, that was a funny face you made that day, but you can put your age to what you were doing. And I might, I mean, obviously the photos are timestamped, so I can go back through and do mm-hmm. it. And I probably will make that a project. I just have to commit to doing it. But I think that would make it better for a lot of them. Like we went to a, um, a little dinosaur park a couple weeks ago. 
So we have photos of going to the park. So when I talk about the park, you can actually visually see how old you were right. with the dinosaur. And then 20 years from now, you'd be like, oh my God, that was me as a little kid with, in front of the, the T-Rex, you know? So it's cool. But like you said, it's a form of communication. It's a form of hopefully literacy for them in the future. Yeah, they can read it. Absolutely. And I think it's really important. And as a parent, if we're going to go down that that road, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a major part of my, like I said, oh, I was like, a dad talk comes out just because that's oh, like no, we're in Oh no, I it. get it. A mom talk, you know, it's like it's, um, it's part of my, I guess my DNA now. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, every aspect of my life now, even at work, you know, um, it's being a mother has always, um, at least within the last 15 years of having the kids, it really creates who you are as a person, you know, because you are responsible for keeping people alive. Mm-hmm. And so, and guiding who they are as human beings. You know, I, I, Craig and I have a joke with our boys. I said, you know, your dad and I only have one responsibility is to grow up, to make sure you guys grow up into decent human beings. Like everything else is just kind of, yeah. you know. Yeah. Did, did you find when you became a mom that... Did you feel like a heightened responsibility? Did you feel like you grew up? Did you feel like, um, like I, I felt was, as soon as we had a kid, I felt like there was just like some internal thing inside of me that just was like, okay, now you unlock that badge and yeah. here you go. Now you, you've like, now you're a parent. Honestly, when Craig and I first became parents, our first initial reaction was sheer terror. <laughs> we this you're, little, you're winging it. Right. There's this little human being, this little tiny person and you're like, okay, what do I do with it? You know, and <laughs> just go home and like put them on the floor and be like, okay, what now? <laughs> I am going to tell you a story about my lovely husband. He's going to kill me. Oh, but, please do. Oh, any dirt we have on Craig is oh, a great it's day. Awesome. <laughs> when we had Dante is our oldest. And when he was first born, Craig, you know, new dad didn't know what to do. He used to take like those little booties and put it on Dante's back to make sure it was going up and down and see if he was breathing. <laughs> dad hack. Dad hack. The original dad hack. I like he that. Did. He was just like, and if we, and he used to stand there in the doorway when our, when Dante was a baby with, in his little car seat and swing it back and forth. And I was laughing because I was like, wow, you're going to get biceps going to be massive after this. Uh, it was the only way he'd go to sleep. And so, yeah, it's uh, sheer terror because we didn't know. And then, you know, seven months later, we find out that we had our, I was on, our second son was on the way. We're like, oh, okay. And so, yeah, we didn't sleep for three years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I said. I live on coffee and no sleep and then like just adrenaline. So, um, so it's no, let me see here. MNM program graduate student. Is that, that's non-profit? the masters of nonprofit management. So we'll talk about that a little bit. So that's, that's new. Uh, that I've been in that, that program is actually out of Regis University in mm-hmm. Colorado. Um, it's a practical program that teaches essentially, um, their students how to be executive directors. I've had some really interesting courses, uh, like, uh, nonprofit financial management. Um, also HR volunteerism, uh, governance, just it's, it basically gives you the toolbox to, to lead an organization. And, and I know you've told, you told me this before. I, I always like nonprofit, mm-hmm. anything that says like, again, and I'm coming from a mindset. I've always been in the business field. Like you hear mm-hmm. nonprofit and I was like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Cause it's like, in typically business, that's usually what you're doing. So can you just explain kind of like, what is a non, we should probably should start with this. Like, what is a nonprofit and like, how does it work and how does the finances work and how do you, how do you get paid and how do it's, it's, 
a really interesting structure. Uh, nonprofit organizations, there's actually different kinds. Um, we are a 501c3. Uh, we're a tax-exempt organization. The IRS has designated us as a 501c3, which is a charitable organization. Um, we can accept donations. Um, here's the thing. In, your, in almost, well, actually in every state, um, nonprofit organizations are usually governed by the state attorney general's office. And in New York State, we have something called the Char 500, which allows us to accept donations, and they can be, um, you know, our donors can claim them um, as donations. And so uh, nonprofit organizations, we are always... You know, just like business, we're hustling. Mm-hmm. Um, not, and, I, and I've said this to you before. Non-profit means doesn't mean no profit. Any money that we have above what's operating budget goes into a reserve for uh, future programming, or you can develop more programming uh, with the money that you um, get from, uh, say you meet your operating, your budget for the year. Mm -hmm. And then anything above that, you can develop a new program. Um, We get our money through grant writing. We get our money through individual donations. And, um, you know, we have partners in the community like the United Way that um, help us as well. Because I always think like nonprofit was kind of the same thing. It's like, well, what happens at the end of the year if you have profit? You just like, like, you know what I mean? Donate it back to where we gave it donation. Because so I always find... I always hear the, like the term in my mind initially with nonprofits always like you're always just you're just doing the same thing every year you're never growing but you're again basically nonprofit just means you or the people that work there aren't profiting from it you get you pay get paid as a salary right, right. but then like any other business you just keep reinvesting back into the program right exactly um, it's nonprofit organizations um, are a nonprofit business. Uh, we have expenses, we've got, you know, receivables like everybody, every other business. It's just a matter of how we, uh, we treat them. Uh, donations, you have to send a thank you and you have to send a tax receipt mm-hmm. uh, for the donation. Um, we also have, um, ter- when you get receive a grant, you usually have to write a final report on what you did with the money. So we're accountable for every penny that comes in the organization. Uh, you do a lot of grant writing yourself. You have in the past. I have, so, yes. Yeah. I, I grant write. <laughs> okay, so what's that process like? For, I mean, is it is it kind of one where you can reference a you know some type of template, basic template that you kind of change? Is it a lot of research? Is it? I've never wrote in a grant in my life, so or written a grant in my life, so I don't know. It, it depends because you have some grants that are. Uh, a lot easier where they just want your basic information they want to know what program you need to fund and some information and then you have um, larger grants uh, that require a lot of research um, this to some degree there's some templates um, a lot of foundations uh, want to know what they're funding and they want to know what program they're funding and so um, if you have an idea and you want to propose it uh, then you can write a grant for it. You have to create a budget for your program. So this is how much this overhead is going to cost. Staff, you know, materials, as well as um, if it's if say you have an event that you want to fund, uh, uh, say I don't know uh, a children's fair, you know, for literacy, um, and you want to approach a donor and a foundation for money to run this program, you need to know 
a lot of things up front, like where you're going to have it, how many kids are you proposing, how are you going to do outreach, and then you write something called a narrative. And in the narrative, you have to explain the program. Um, usually they'll ask you, you know, how it's going to run and also your outcomes, like what do you expect to achieve? And the fun part, not always so much, is when you have to come up with a budget and it's kind of hard because you don't have anything solid and mm-hmm. you can find out how much it would cost to rent a place and materials, um, whether or not you're going to charge for the event. So these are all the little things that go into grant writing. And you have to go quote all that out. A lot of times, the ballpark it. At yeah, least. you have to. Um, so, is it hard? No, who, so, who is giving out the grants? Is it pub? Is it private donors? Is it private like trusts? Is it the government? All of the above. Okay. Um, you have estates that require a grant application for funding. There are foundations. Um, there are family foundations, private foundations um, that will give money for something that is close to their uh, scope and mission. Uh, then there's federal funding and which is, uh, and then state funding. Is it hard for the people to give, like pick who they give money to? It seems like anything that come in from a nonprofit, my guess is that the majority of them are probably good causes. Right. So then trying to whittle that down. It, I think the best way to, to describe it is most foundations or most funders have a focus. They have a scope. They, you know, you're not going to find a, a foundation that's going to fund typically, um, I don't know, um, healthcare versus, say, museums. That's not like within their scope unless they are a huge foundation, uh, like a corporate foundation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that, for example, a smaller regional foundation will probably say, I want to serve or I want to fund only services in the Adirondacks or in New York State. Uh, so it, it runs the gamut. It just, you have to do your research. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there where you can find um, grants that fit your specific mission, and then you whittle that down. And then on the donor side, they usually have a, um, a board meeting, and then they get all the proposals, and then they whittle down to which causes and which programs they want to fund. That's exactly what happens. They say, okay, we got 15 applications this, this quarter. These five don't fit within our scope. So they've got 10. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, well, we promised in the last board meeting that we're going to focus primarily on children. Well, only these three focus on children. So now you've got three grants that the board or the the uh, committee has to decide which they want to fund. They might fund all three. They might fund only one. They might fund none. Well, typically, they will fund at least one. So, so they they do they can whittle it down pretty quick to like, you know, a very short list of like these are the possibilities. Right. right. Um, I always thought it'd be like overwhelming. You're getting like hundreds or thousands of grants right. getting written. It's like someone's got to read all of those and be like, yeah, good, bad, and you think that most of them. But that makes sense. They kind of have a little bit of a kind of a criteria right. of like everybody wants money, but obviously we have a focus. Right. Um, in regards to, I guess, like the North Country, how do you fi- how do you find the nonprofit world is here relative to bigger cities, different countries, different areas? I think that the North Country is very invested in their community and their residents. Um, as far as you know, and the f- the really awesome thing about being here in the North Country is we're small enough that you pretty much know who all the players are. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and everybody knows everyone else. And that's awesome because, you know what, I always believe that if you have $50 and you have two organizations, instead of giving one organization the whole 50, why don't you split it 20 and somebody gets part of the, the you know, helps fund their programming. Um, the North Country is amazing because there are a lot of people here who are uh, philanthropic. <laughs> they are um, you philanthropic. Know, I know. Yeah, philanthropically is that minded. Okay, <laughs> that is the word I'm looking for. Philanthropically <laughs> minded. The landscape is um, it's it's small, uh, but it is fruitful. Uh, there's a lot of corporations and. Um, companies and individuals who give because they have missions that are very close to their hearts. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I always start, like when I was a kid, you'd like, you'd volunteer, you'd do key club, you'd, you'd help out here, you'd help out the church, you'd help out at, you know, a, maybe something with the class or the school. Right. Um, and most of those, most of those you're kind of volunteered for Voluntold. Voluntold, either by <laughs> teacher, the program, your right. parents, or even just kind of peer pressure of like, well, everybody else is, oh, okay, so I got to do it. Like, and some of you like doing, but I think a lot of it as a kid, you feel like a chore. And then I found as I've gotten older, and a big thing for me was going back to kids, like having kids was another eye-opening thing to me because it's like, okay. And then, then that mixed with, I really feel like growing up in life, like really mm -hmm. becoming more involved and more responsible of like, okay, I got a, I got a wife, I have kids, I have you know, a job, I'm involved in the community, really trying to take that responsibility and go up a level because then you start meeting other people. And the benefit of meeting other people is you feel, find out about different causes and you find out about what, you know, good and bad and people that are, are need help. And, and, and it's something that, you know, I, I used to go to church as a lot as a kid and I don't anymore, but I've always brought everything back to like the golden rule like you bring it centered back to like treat people the way you want to be treated so i try my best that's like literally my guiding north star and anything i do it's just what i treat what i want someone treating me like that no okay i'm not gonna do it because I, I just flip it on myself i do it all the time i probably do it daily on different decisions so to me same thing when you start realizing like people that are in need or need help or or even just underfunded things that are like mm -hmm. doing great work but it's like you know they have some money but they could have more money you know and um that's why like when we started the golf tournament like for the kids that's when one we had kids but then two it's like okay you started learning about the backpack program and now you're talking about the children's literacy and i'm like there's so many and of course i have kids so it's like it's so heartbreaking when you see you know kids that have to utilize the i mean the backpack program it's great that it's there but it's heart oh, it's heartbreaking that you know we, we got to come up with a program to send home, kids home for food. Where I look at my house, I'm like, why do we have so much food just sitting around? And it, you just take it, you take it for granted. But it also opened your eyes to like, okay, be giving. You know, make sure that um, you know someone needs help. Like, reach down and help them. You know, don't right. like kind of like distance them or something. I said, I think, and as I've gotten older, that's become more and more like a focus of mine. There's right. stuff I do during the day. I like I know myself now that I'm like. I would have done that as work in the past and now it has nothing to do with my bottom line. It has all everything to do with giving back and I and there's parts of my day and week I focus on that because uh -huh. like and it just it sneaks in and it then becomes important. But you're like and then you kinda of think about it like, well, I'm doing a lot of stuff, but it feels good because right. I get more sometimes fulfillment than I love my job and and we'll get into we'll get into that portion, but <laughs> it's like doing this stuff, like sitting there working on it, knowing I'm like stressing and doing all this stuff for it. 
and realizing I'm literally doing this to to make something that's well, I mean, fun for the participants, but also rewarding for them, and then also right. fulfilling to other people that this is going to directly mm-hmm. affect. And me and um, I mean, Meg, uh, my friend Meg's been doing a ton on this, and like we've the amount of hours we've just like put into this that uh, you know, right? It, it it's fun, like it's fun, but then it's like, it's like wow, it's, it's it's cool, and it's kind of you talk about uh, you know, like growing something. I think something like this, you know, it's we can already see the future and we're like, okay, this is right. going to grow. And we have full intention of just making this bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Like you said, everybody's trying to, you know, get things that are big, you know, make things bigger, but you know, this is in the nonprofit sense. So right. it's cool. I think that fundamentally every person wants to be a good person. And, and that is a lot, a crux of a lot of what we do in the nonprofit sector is we want to do good, do good. You know, it's just do good and be good. And I think that people donate. I think that people... Oh, look, there's my husband. <laughs> you can put him on live mic. Put him on the hot mic. Oh, no. He's been our second call in two days. Oh, boy. Hey, Craig, you're on with me and Galen. Oh, dear God, Galen. How are you, Hey, Craig, Craig, I don't know if you can... Can you hear me, Craig? I can. Okay. Uh, we let off talking about Vegemite and how you almost killed me. <laughs> And, and, and no, I will not try it ever again. No, that was I, your follow-up question. No, no, I'd like to point out at this point that I told you not to do it. In but, fact, I used the phrase, Galen, don't do it. Craig, Craig anyway. you got you to realize I'm like, I'm like a little kid. If you tell me no, I'm going to try it. It's kind of like don't touch the hot stove. It's going to be hot. Craig's like, don't touch the Vegemite. It's going to be <laughs> It's going to be gross. And I was like, kind of basically wanted to call bullshit on you, Craig. And then I ended up... Uh, Agreeing with him. And then I ended up saying I was wrong. <laughs> Craig, you were right. I was wrong. I can't talk for long. Uh, honey, are you nearly done? Uh, no. Why? Is the picnic starting in like 20 minutes? Okay. I'll be there as soon as I can. Right. Bye. Yeah, Wait, where is right? it? Where is it? At Norsk. Uh, okay. I'll be there soon. And you're picking up the kids, right? No, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> You said you were going to. No, I did not. Okay, I'll go get the kids. <laughs> okay, since you're already at Norsk. Okay. Bye. All right, bye. <laughs> yeah, welcome to marriage after 18 years. <laughs> that that, that sounds like a lot of, yes. I, that would sound like our, our conversations. Me, me and Jane have all the times like this, that. Like, oh, yeah, oh, wait, wait. You didn't tell me that. I didn't tell you that. I know. Yeah. So we talk like people in their like world of just a million things going on and then yeah. being like, oh crap. Yeah. Well, I need that done. Yeah, I know. It's funny because I was like, I don't remember having the conversation that I'm picking up the children. What? But um, where were we? Oh, good people. Good yes. human beings. Um, I think that it's interesting because there are so many good people that work in nonprofits that could be doing other things. You know, Um, I come from a business world, but I want to use those skills to help my organization. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you're right, as you get older, you begin to realize your mortality. Yeah. Yeah. And you realize the legacy that you want to leave. And you also want to set an example for your kids. Yeah. And it's really kind of one of those things where... Um, and, and this is in, in my program, one thing that I always found incredibly interesting is intergenerational philanthropy and intergenerational volunteerism. Either you do it together or you leave it 
as a legacy for your family in the future. You're talking about multi-generations at one time working together yep. or setting something up for future? Both. Okay. Um, I think that right now I see a lot of, it's interesting, some of our tutors um, are retired and they're bringing in their kids mm-hmm. now, you know, who are professionals or teachers and they're um, training to be tutors with our program. Um, as far as wanting to do good as as I think that the the little those little rugrats that we have really kind of in they really um encourage us to be better people mm-hmm. and um and you don't need to be a parent to to want to be a good person but I think that it's definitely one of those things that you see you're like you know I want to set an example for my kids to know that there's something beyond just themselves mm-hmm. and that there's a big world out there and what part do we play in it? Yeah. I, I, I think the kids have brought way more, I mean, the best out of me in the last handful of years. And I mean, I think one, they, they made me grow up from a responsibility standpoint of like, okay, now, like you said, I got to keep this kid alive. Like I got, I got to do like this kid. I remember, I remember thinking when they were like this, this little person is a hundred percent reliable on me. Oh yeah. And it's like, or me, me and Gina. And it was like the idea that, that was kind of like an awakening moment where, you know, it's like, and you knew it was coming, but then you finally had the baby in your hands. Like, okay, it's real now. Like mm-hmm. this thing is breathing. Okay. We can't drop him. Okay. We got to make sure he's fed. Okay. He pooped. You got to like make sure he clean his diaper and he's crying. Okay. Well, you're not going to sleep tonight. I'm not I mean me parent, not going to sleep tonight because right. you'll be up trying to soothe this kid back to bed. And that's just the minor stuff. And then now I find we're kind of joking. Like I put him to bed every night and everybody start. he's starting to say this and he, I, He's, I call him Mr. Diplomat because this kid can talk. He's, he's worse than me. He's, <laughs> but he's, he can sit. He'll sit down. We'll, and typically we lay down on his elephant, which is this big elephant body mm-hmm. pillow thing. That's like it's big. It's actually just an elephant, a stuffed elephant. So we'll lay on the elephant, and we'll just lay there together. We'll read our book, and then we lay there, and then he'll sit there and be like, "So, so how how was uh, how was your day at work?" And I said, "It was good, buddy." And oh. and he'd be like, uh, "What'd you do?" And I said, <laughs> "I go." Well, I had a meeting yesterday. What well, was yesterday? I'm like, well, this morning I had a meeting. A couple people. Oh, okay. And then I, then I had to make some phone calls. Oh, all right. And I go, and then I had to plan a go- the golf tournament. And he goes, what what, uh, what golf tournament? Well, I said, I told you about the golf tournament, right? Thing. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. And yeah, we're having this dialogue throughout the night. And it's so fun to like have that with them because you're so used to like, we're, I mean, we're in the stage right. now that you're just getting, to, they're starting to speak and right. converse. And now he's getting to the point that he comprehends stuff. And it's right. so much more fun. Because you can have these little conversations. He's just this little person. And, of course, he's, like, innocent, little fun. I mean, just a funny. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Raphael's not far removed from his no, age. No, so, he's I mean, you're, yeah, only yeah. seven. Yeah, so. But let me tell you, when they get into their teens, wow. Yeah, they mean, well. They're then people. They, they're like, wow, you are, like, a bona fide. Like, they're taller than me. Like, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i short to begin with. But um, my two older boys, yeah. are they're almost as tall as Craig. Yeah, they're big guys. Yeah. And, you know, granted, my... Craig's younger brother is like six foot seven. I mean, come on. But it's... Well, I think the boys are definitely taller than me. Oh, they're definitely taller than a lot of... Raphael people. might be taller than me by like next year. The <laughs> he's, he's, he's shooting up. <laughs> but you know, you're right. As, as they get older and they become their own people. And it's really the most amazing thing is going back to motherhood is that you have these people that are just kind of this little seed and then they grow and grow and grow. And they become... 
independent and become holy themselves is the most incredible privilege as a human being to watch them like my boys are about as different as you can possibly be our oldest is like really reserved he's but he's got a craig always dante's the oldest right yeah okay craig has a joke he he's got a wicked snarky sense of humor and he gets he gets it from his mom and i was like maybe but then nate he's like he's a showman he loves to perform and then Raphael he just he's our little demolition man um well now 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 uh I didn't realize you were an art history major so that mm-hmm. makes the names now art and English literature right now I get, is that I'm assuming that's why you named that's it, exactly voice. right um now is Dante Nathaniel right was that Nathaniel Hawthorne it was okay and then Raphael like how, are those just the three he's a renaissance painter no, I, oh yes, I know who they are. But um, <laughs> are they? Uh, what, what was his most famous painting, Raphael? Um, he did a lot of Madonna and Child. That's okay. That's I was gonna. Say, yes, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, I know. I know. The, I know what the photo looks like. That's the one I was thinking of. But I was almost gonna call it. Um, is it Madonna and the Rocks? Isn't that one too? Or is it Madonna and Child? Because she's kind of like. Yeah. Right, she's like kind of on like a rocky oh scene. God, you're testing my my art abilities history? here. Oh uh, my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So were uh, those just your the artists and the literature that stuck out, or just kind of like their art and I like the name? Uh, honestly, it was a whole different bunch of different. Craig and I had arguments <laughs> about the names. Like he and he really liked the name Dashel. I went, nope, nope, Dashel. Yeah, like Dashel Hammond, the author. And oh, I was like, oh, no. And so we decided on the names. It took a long time. Nathaniel almost was Vincent, but... Van Gogh? Yes. Okay. So, uh, but we ended up on Nathaniel. Um, but So it wasn't like Nathaniel Vincent? N- no, his name's Nathaniel Robert. Okay. Uh, and so uh, it was... It was because here's the thing. You were saddling someone with a name, a yeah. descriptor for the rest of their life. You pick all the names that don't have like innuendos that have nicknames. Like, yeah. you know, like, like I'm Galen. The amount of times people are like, oh, gay. And I'm like, well, it's it's Gale, like the wind. Like, right. But you always get that. Like, So I had that growing up. And of course, luckily, I have fairly thick skin. So I was like, that's not even that good of a joke, man. Like, I know, you know, exactly. Get to the point where I'm like, whatever, Galo or Gayland. I said, I get it. Like, and the acronyms are important too. Like our middle, our oldest son, his his initials are D A D. Our middle son, his initials are N R D. So it's nerd. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that planned? No. Oh. And then you know, um, it's funny because Raphael is R H D, and so we were like, oh, we probably didn't think about the initials, but that's okay. Our, our kids are K K O P, which is like cop, right? K, which I always thought it was. I don't think any of them have. Yeah, none of their middle initials. So my son's middle initial, middle name is J, initial J, and my son, my youngest is G. Hmm. We weren't very original, so we did G after Galen and G. Now so that was that's right. pens, and then crew is crew J after my my middle name's Joseph. My dad's name's Joey. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law's Jerry. And my grandfather's Jeremiah. Oh, there you go. So there's a lot of J's. So we just said, just crew J, letter J, and then so. And Oakland's same right. name as my wife and mother-in-law. Right. I have a friend. Her initials are J-R-K. Say that out loud. J-R-K? Jerk? <laughs> J-R-K? She hates it. <laughs> she doesn't tell anyone her middle initial. <laughs> I was going to say, mine's G-J-T. 
it means nothing. It's just like, so now going into your business background, business realm, because I've talked to you at length about different stuff and I think you had valuable insight into things I was asking questions on. And I think you last, last couple, couple years, you've helped me out on certain like organizational things and things that, you know, kind of organizing my thoughts a little bit and, or just let me talk out loud and just being like, okay, I just spent it. And so, um, but kind of give us your background on business and background on, you know, that kind of sector. Oh gosh. Um, when I graduated from college, I was an intern at Wenner Media, which actually owns Rolling Stone magazine. Wonder Media? Wenner, W-E-N-N-E-R. They own Rolling Stone magazine. Okay. And then I started working for an independent paper in New York. And then I moved to California, and that was where my nonprofit uh, background came in. I was a a program director for the uh, Asian American Journalist Association, and then got poached back to New York City um, and started working for American Lawyer Media, which was the largest legal publishing. That's where you met Craig. Yes. Okay. In New York. When I moved back to New York, I met met a... A really uh, an interesting Australian sailor. Moved Sa- to- I was going to say sailor, yeah. I was going to say Navy or sailor. Yeah, yeah. And then um, when we got married in 2003, I moved to Australia, and then I worked for Fairfax Media, which is the second largest uh, media company in Australia. I was a business development executive. Okay, so just so we're not, we're gonna we'll stay on the business, but then if we have time, we'll we'll go into the the Aussie, uh-huh. the Aussie experience. So keep, keep going. The business, and, yeah. and then um, I was there, that which is really interesting because Australian business is very different from American corporate. It is an incredibly different world. Uh, In what ways? Um, the way you approach your clients, the way you talk to your clients, the way you present to your clients. You know, it's it is obviously business is business, but it's very it's much more informal. Um, you know, it's not. Uh, suits and ties a lot of times you're in a sundress and the guy's in like a Hawaiian shirt (laughs) I can vibe with that sandals yeah exactly and you know um, and then I came back to the US and you know uh, worked at the Strand, and then I'm now at uh, Liberty Volunteers. But I, at one point, I did a when I moved to California, I did a small stint working for the San Francisco Giants in their marketing department Really? Mm-hmm. Right at the, uh, was it PNC Park or PNC? It was at uh, Candlewick, uh, Can- Candlestick Park. Oh, Candlestick, yeah, before they put on the water. Right. Okay, gotcha. So, um, okay, so the, when you got into business, now mm-hmm. what positions were you at, at at those places? Well, I did, I when I first started, I was a, a sales assistant. And then I learned the ropes in in an advertising department, advertising sales. And then I'm actually, I forgot, I did a small stint at an advertising agency, but then I realized I could make more money as a sales rep. So I started working for a, a newspaper called the New York Press down in the city. Um, and then I decided I wanted to try something new and I moved to California. Uh, for... Just because I had family there and I wanted okay. to live on the West Coast. Okay. Uh, and actually, my sister and I moved out there. San Francisco area? Yeah. Okay. In the Bay Area. Bay, yep. And then um, did a, a summer with the San Francisco Giants. And then I got my job at uh, the Asian American Journalist Association and then moved back to New York to, to work 
for uh, the American lawyer media. I worked in, um, in oh gosh, uh, the expert witness division where we sold uh, directories for expert witnesses. I don't think they have that product anymore. And then I moved over to intellectual rights. And, and uh, What's expert witnesses? Whenever you have a, a trial, you, prosecution or the defense will need an expert witness to testify. Okay. And so it's a directory of different experts all over the country and sometimes in the world on specific uh, oh, professions. Gotcha. Like, for example... There's a blood splatter stain. Right. Like, oh, gotcha. But one of... The, believe it or not, one of the more um, used directories was the one for... Uh, was was white-collar crime. You know? Like, uh, I didn't even realize this until... Oh. Forensic accounting. I've, I've actually heard about it, but it seems like two weird things to combine. So, forens- what is forensic accounting? Well, basically, uh, I guess if somebody embezzles money, they have to go back through the finances and uncover, you know, accounts and other things that. Oh, seem so a little forensic sketch. doesn't necessarily mean death; it just no. means crime, yeah, right? Okay, all right. And, and and it was one of our more commonly used directories was what color crime? I would think that would be more. I would think people would be making because you got to think like, like homicide is, I would say a little crazier, like far end than just like embezzling money. Mm-hmm. People embezzle money just all the time, all the time, <laughs> and people would sometimes do it with the idea like, I probably don't even think it's wrong at times, right? So I think that would be a pretty popular thing, right? Because just people are just like, oh, I can make more money by just moving a decimal, like. And and computer forensics too, like people, you know, computer experts that can go through a hard drive and find stuff that people try to get rid of, like cybersecurity right. and everything. Right. I remember uh, there's a presentation I saw like a few weeks back, and the lady she owns a, a local um, kind of like IT company, and she goes, "We had everybody." We tried to hack because we wanted to re- make their password stronger. We hacked everybody in our office. We said, whatever your passwords are, and tried to hack it. She goes, we hacked almost every single one of them in under 30 seconds. Wow. And she goes, most of them were you know, fairly simple. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know if it's like an algorithm or a computer and just kind of goes through a bunch of stuff. But she said, almost all of them were figured out within 30 seconds. So wow. they, they made a, corp- like a corporate company, whatever policy of everybody had to have passwords with this criteria, which mm-hmm. you know, obviously some people weren't excited about because it was you know i'm the same like you could hack mine in two seconds because a lot of them are the same or variations of the same because i right. have a small brain and can't think of all of them so or or i just save them all in a document of like all the ones that i go look at so that to me yeah especially nowadays everything's so digitized it's like, oh absolutely there. like yeah. you can i mean you must remember the time where people were afraid to put credit cards on online oh yeah absolutely and now i'm like i don't even think twice i'm like here take just take my fingerprint do whatever you need because it's time like to me it's like i know you're gonna get it anyways you're gonna right like social security number you're gonna hack you could get my social security number in about a million different ways oh yeah so it's like i don't anything that's online like i like i don't know it's just like fraud stuff i i get it it's very important but I, i'm not i'm not one of those people i'm afraid to put my contact information in because i'm like they're gonna get it somehow like right Especially when, like, there's enough places they know I've put, I've put in Galen Trombley and enough little search engine things or whatever. I mean, how many are there in the world? That's a good question. You know, you have a very unique name. So, we've talked about, um, I've met two Galens in my life. 
And so one of my goals in life is to meet a Galen spelt the same way, what I call in the wild, like just (laughs) randomly just find this person. (laughs) So I don't, I don't count meeting a Galen, meaning you're like, Hey, I'm going to introduce you to another Galen. I know that does not count. I mean, it'd be cool, but I want to, I want the two times I've ever met Galen. One was in Connecticut. We're, we're at this, uh, uh, it was a CrossFit competition thing. And I remember sitting there and this guy was, this guy was talking and said, Hey Galen. And I kind of like looked and then he looked and he goes, yeah. And I'm like, wait, did I hear it right? Did he say Dylan? Did he say like, sometimes <laughs> yeah. da- Caitlin sometimes comes up between Galen. So I, I like, I went right up to him. Like, is your name Galen? Like cold out of the blue. Right. And I was like, who the heck are you? I'm like, is your name Galen? And he goes, yeah. And I said, all right, my name's Galen too. We've got to figure this out. How do you spell your name? And it was G-A-L-E-N. Oh. Which is actually the... My name is actually Greek, so it's a Greek yep. root term. Right. And then Galen, the way I spell it, my parents did the like the Irish Gaelic variation of Galen. So then the other day, for uh, I actually during well, this is the other day, this is a few months now, the uh, person administering um, the vaccine shots, I roll in, I'm sitting there like looking, and you're waiting, they're talking yeah. to you, whatever, and you kind of look over, and you're like, okay, just twiddling your thumbs, waiting for. Them. So all of a sudden, I look over. And I see on this lady's badge, I'm like, is that Galen? I'm like, no way. And I kept looking at him, but my eyes are going bad. There's no way. Sure enough, her name, so that was, first guy was male, second was female. Mm-hmm. Her name was Galen. So she's the first female Galen I've ever seen, but she spelt it G-A-Y-L-E-N, I think. I've seen that before. Yeah, yes, which is similar to, I mean, there's no Y and there's no E, but kind of the other variation. Um, yeah. So I don't, but I don't know how many Galen Trombley's there are. I know. I might be the unicorn of the world. You are, you are. I mean, I've seen, I think the way you spell your name isn't Galen, isn't it like a Greek philosopher? It's a Greek physician. He's a doctor, which is crazy because I would never be anything medical. (laughs) I don't have the stomach for it. But yeah, so that's, and the term means, uh, Gale Wynn, the term actually means calm. Oh. Which Which is like, not you, dude. Well, you know what's funny? If... If you would have known me 15 years ago, you've been like spot on. Because I'm just, I was very chill. I'm still pretty chill, you like in chill. certain things, but. You're high uh, energy, though. I can I can get high energy. I, I get high energy when I'm passionate about something. I also get high energy when I feel stressed. Mm-hmm. Like when I feel like I just got stuff to do and I'm just like, I, I just got to go, got to go. Like, I, you know, kind of frazzled almost. Uh, but if I'm just like chilling and I'm like, we got no expectations. We have nothing going on. Everything's just kind of, we're just here. Then I just feel at ease. And I just like, I'm okay. And I'm chill. So that's right. where the gale comes in. Oh, there you go. But I'm a variation. Yeah. Of, right. of that at least. So, um, so what part of it, what part of business did you like best? Cause I know we've talked a lot about organization. We've talked mm-hmm. a lot about systems and organizations. And, right. um, is that kind of like your bread and butter? I really enjoy that part of business. Um, I really love the whole administrative part of it, just the organizational mindset, um, the whole human capital thing. I really am interested in that. But I would say that of my job, the most fun or the part that I probably miss the most is probably, honestly, it's the event stuff like getting to go to and traveling. Um, I do, uh, when I used to do ad sales, um, I used to go to these incredible events, you know, Um, but 
at the same time, I don't think I have the stomach for that either anymore because those late nights will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> like liver, literally kill you. I, um, yeah. I, I like going to events. Um, I do like events. And, and I think, um, do you plan, have you ever had to plan events, run corporate oh, yeah. events? When I was at the Asian American Journalist Association, one of my jobs was to plan our big gala. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, talk about stress. Um, we, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people and you have to make sure the gala goes okay and it's a fundraising event too you're like no fun uh <laughs> well every time i think fundraising i think dumb and dumber when they had like the owl remember they're raising money for yes. the owl and they're in the suits <laughs> yeah. so it's always when i think of fundraising but um yeah like i know some people that are really good at that they just organize and they can plan stuff and right. they can foresight i'm i like i'm planning this but my, my focus is really like i'm good at the golf part mm-hmm. and then a lot of it i like punt to meg and i'm like you're way better at like logistics logistics yeah. and like the event that's the fun part the event though. part like for me that's the part where i i don't have so we had an event a few weeks ago and one of the girls one of the new girls that's working here she's very good at like let's call it presentation of something mm-hmm. so they would have been like let's do a raffle basket i'm like yeah absolutely so she comes up and she's like so i made this raffle basket and the raffle basket is like this nice box, mm-hmm. all the stuff that you have in it, all the decorative stuff that goes in it that like makes it look a little fuller. Yes. Kind of like the, the, the like the fluff that makes it look nice and everything. Like it's just quite move this here, moved it there, moved it there. And I'm like, I said, honestly, Jen, I said, I would have taken our green bag and just thrown everything <laughs> in the bag and brought it and just dumped it. Cause I've done that before. Like I got all the stuff you needed, but like, yeah, but it's like it's like when you cook something and just like plop it on the plate yeah. versus like make it look like a nice formation. Yeah, I didn't. I don't have that part of me. Like if I re- really to focus, like you know, okay, sit down and make this look pretty. I know myself. I would make it look presentable, mm-hmm. but my initial thought is not that. My initial thought is like, what do you need? Again, very literal. Like, what do you need? Boom, boom, boom. Here you go. Here it is. You're and, super functional. I'm a very functional, like, just cut the fluff, like, go right to it. But I do know, like, there's a lot of value to just the there presentation. I know that too because I deal with houses all the time and I stress so much on the presentation of the house right? because that's, like, my thing. But then I get this and I'm just like, yeah, it's a fundraising. Just put it in the basket. Someone's going to vote on it or, or bid on it and they're going to end up bringing it home. It's cotton. <laughs> like, but, I mean, she, so she did a good job, but that's definitely not my right. forte. Right. I would say that it takes a special, not even special, but someone that really loves doing that. Yeah. You know, um, my mom is awesome at flower arranging and I'm not bad, but she's way better at it than yeah. I am where I just take the flowers. And I'm like, here. Well, that's my friend Anna. She'll sit there and like make a whole garden. And like, if she brought flowers into me, I'd be like, just make them look like they're, if I put them together, that there's one's not sticking out and then be like there. She'd be like, yeah, but put this here and fluff this right. up and move that and tie it here. I'm like, all right, just you do it. It looks great. Put in the pictures. Like, I'm just going to, yeah, I can't do it. But, um, so I know like you've, regarding like organizational aspect, mm-hmm. I've talked about like, you know, um, like help and staff and delegation and focus and who's supposed to like, who's supposed to like own certain tasks. Right. That stuff is like still of like, we're working at it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think. I think when I first started talking about it, we had one staff person. Since then, we're up to about one and a half more. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been able to leverage internal agents for stuff um, and kind of have different working relationships with all these people. But I find that I'm slowly able to like 
push stuff off my plate. Right. And two things happen. One, I don't feel as stressed with the amount of workload. But then two, the time I do have now can be filled with like next level stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and now I'm finding it's almost like having like an identity, identity crisis of like, what should I focus or do next? Because my, my day now is a way different than it was two years ago. Right. So it's like, okay, I have a little bit of time. What is my focus? Because I'm not going and doing these items that I did for 10 years. Now I'm like, I'm trying to like level myself up and now it's like, okay, what am I, where do I really need to put, where do I need to put my focus or my egg kind of thing? And that's been difficult. It's kind of like figuring out, knowing what I want to do, but then really sitting down and figuring out like, no, this is what you have to do. This is like the next step. Oh, that's a problem for, I think, everybody, especially mm-hmm. everybody who is highly motivated to get stuff done. I mean, I, I, some days I'm like, okay, well, I, I set a goal and then I get frustrated because I can't meet that goal because like, like even on my way in here, I had to take a phone call. Do mm-hmm. I take the call? Oh, yeah. Do I not take the call? I know I need to take Someone this call. Someone drops in and talks. And, right. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of throwing that wrench in your, your day where, you know, you have to, one thing that I'm going to say that I probably, I don't know if I've ever told you, is you have to give, forgive yourself for the stuff that you don't do. Yes. Because if you, because believe me, I've had those nights, those sleepless nights, like, oh, I should have done this or, oh, I should have done that. I, one thing I want. I mean, I've told you this before, right? but I like have a talking dialogue in my head all day long because I just like, <laughs> I talk to myself more than I talk to anybody else and usually it's just internal. But um, one of the things that I think I've always been really good at is I find that I can like self-coach myself. That's good. But I feel like I can like add a body self-coach myself where I'm for the most part pretty good about calling myself out on stuff and then... And also being empathetic to myself, knowing that you are not going to, like, you didn't get to that. Why, okay, why didn't you get to that? Could you have, like, then I'm in my head, like, could I have changed it? And not that I have regrets. I very rarely have regrets with anything because a lot of it I just live, like, as honestly as I can. So then I don't feel bad. So it's like, if I did something and it wasn't the right decision, but I felt it was at the right decision at the right time and I did it with the correct intent, then I really don't care the outcome because I, like, I can't change... Like, you know what I mean? Outcomes are outcomes. And sometimes you can directly impact them. Sometimes something happens. You're like, ah, well, I that I couldn't really change that. I tried mm-hmm. to think in my head, could I have? But then sometimes you just got to you know, chalk it up as, hey, happened. Now how do you adjust? But uh, I don't beat myself up over a lot of things because a lot of the stuff, if I, ma- I feel like if I made a mistake, I really look at it as a learning experience. And I just, I, I like zone in on it and I'm like, okay almost like sports like okay we missed the tackle here like how can we redo the game footage right. or we watch the game film and how can i redo it for the next game where i'm not going to miss that block or something and that's that's really how i live a lot of my life and this is like personal with the kids with my wife mm-hmm. um in business it's like did i screw up did i waste time here did i not focus on the right thing did i say something wrong to somebody did i not did I, did I not actually something I'm bad at? Did I not recognize something about someone? Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware enough that they were having a bad day or that they might've needed an extra few minutes of my time. And, and I don't beat myself up of it, but I'm like, okay, I'm aware of it now. 
and just make sure that the next time that comes up that I'm aware enough to do it or whatever. So it's, I think that's a really good skill to have. Um, cause I have a tendency to beat myself up mm-hmm. and then forgive myself <laughs> Okay. Uh, because I, um, often sometimes overthink things. Oh my gosh. Craig will be the first person to tell you that I think like I can't stop. Like, like, well, you know, stop rehashing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, I think that's also part of his Aussie personality. <laughs> Craig's definitely a a Hawaiian shirt flip-flops Oh, yeah, totally. Um, But I think, you know, also the evolution of of a person's career as well is the more responsibility you get and the more responsibility you take on. For example, you know, when you, as a nonprofit leader, you know, and and that's it, you're leading, right? Mm -hmm. I try to lead by example um, and with honesty. And so, you know... Nonprofits all over the world are generally underfunded, non-funded, understaffed. And so we all wear different hats. And, and so sometimes I will find that myself and my staff will beat ourselves up for something that we had no control over. Mm-hmm. And then um, we just have to get over it because, there's, you know, we did the best we could. Yeah, and I think it, a lot of it is, like I said, intent of what you're doing. I said, mm-hmm. if, you're, if your intent is good, I'm a big karma, I'm a big believer in karma. Like if I, I really think about if I'm trying my best and really putting in the effort, and there's times, I'm, like like I said, I'll talk to myself and be like, you didn't really put full effort on that. Like you kind of, you cut corners on that. or mm-hmm. And then I, and I, like I said, it's kind of like an internal dialogue. I won't beat myself up over it, but I'll make sure that I recognize it. And right. then I just say, okay, not not your best but let's like okay let's adjust almost like a prep talk at, at right. halftime like um i don't i, I think i've always had that. I, I was uh sports um i was playing sports i always i never really lost my cool on stuff like i play golf now it's like do i get upset if i hit a bad shot eh, not really i kind of look at it like oh, god you you hooked it and i'm like oh, okay i know what you did you know why you did it. You weren't focusing on this. You, you know, you got too quick here. Like all these things in my head, but I don't like, I don't care. Like, okay, it's a shot, whatever. Like I got bigger things going on in life than my, my golf game, which is like a stress relief for me. It's to go out and have fun and hang out with people and like play music and whatever. Right. But as with anything else, I want to get better at what I'm doing, but I don't sit there and like throw clubs or break clubs. Or, oh no, or, tantrums are no, no. No. And I'm like, I, one, I'm like, I'm not that good. So like, two, it's like my expectation, I'm talking about expectation level. Like my expectation level of myself is about where it should be. I'm like, if I practice every day and all I did was play golf, then yeah, I'd have a little better expectation. I don't. I'm a business, got kids. Like my expectation level is like trying to get out once a week. <laughs> like that's about it. I'm out. We're here. We're swinging. We're not hurt. This is good. This is a good day. Um, did you find, like what, when you say you overthink stuff, are you... Do you have a lot of self-talk? Are you are you a true leader for yourself? Are you um... all of the above? Okay. Um, I I do have a tendency to try. I guess I'm a Libra, so I try to always about balance. But you know, I'm trying to look at it from every angle. And sometimes could I have done this better? Could I have said this better? Or you know, um, was that a mistake to do that? But then I think, well, it's done. It's water under the bridge. I can't do anything about it now. So that's when the cheerleader pops up like, come on, you did your best. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that 
um, with anything, when you begin to gain confidence in something, those voices get smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, and it, uh, I remember, like I said, just my like work, like professional, professional career. Um, first couple of years, like I was very quiet. I say quiet. I was, I was personal. I talked to people, but um, I didn't put myself out there. I was very, I didn't want to like really go meet people. I was just kind of like in my bubble, did my thing. Um, and a lot of it was just because she, you know, talking to adults or talking to people in the field that have been doing it for years and years and years, like I just felt intimidated. Like, I don't know, I like real estate. I know that people want to buy and sell homes, but like, I don't know the nuances. And then, then you go beyond the X's and O's of real estate and say, okay, the business aspect, the interpersonal stuff, the, Mm -hmm. the, like what I'm, you know, really starting to get now is like the leadership and the management and the emotions and the personalities and trying to like understand all that which is far beyond real estate like i'm that's what i'm saying i'm like the real estate stuff to me has been or is fairly easy for me now i've been doing it for so long it's almost like that's an autopilot in my life that like i'm i know i'm really good at it but i don't really have to stress that i don't know what i'm talking about you know if i don't know something i I know a way to figure it out and Mm -hmm. now it's like me kind of when i started talking to you i'm like okay i gotta like there's people now and now I'm kind of running this. I'm staying organized. Now, how do I heck do I do this and not like self implode or how do I not like jeopardize my family or how do I like all these things that run through my head? Because at the end of the day, you're like you said, trying to be a good person. You're trying to do your best. But then as you bring responsibility on more people rely on you and you still rely on yourself. And it's right. like, okay, like I, I got a lot of people relying on me. I got this, I got responsibilities. I got deadlines. I got bills. I got like, and you're trying to just make sure that you just don't self-implode. Right. And it's difficult. I mean, there's days that I think my biggest, like I said, biggest fight every day is just making sure I don't like, like, not not have fun. I have fun every day. Like, I don't take my like work too serious. Like, I, I do, but I like laid back. It's just every day I'm just trying to get to the point where like, can I manage just the chaos every day? Right. And right. it's tough. It is. And, you know, a friend of mine is an HR director, and she said something to me recently um, when I was going through a tough time. And she said, put your big girl pants on. Welcome to senior management. Mm-hmm. You know, because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yeah. Like when you're at the, in a position where you have to start making those hard decisions, then you have to have that confidence to move forward. And, and I think that... Um, you know, it, it's tough making some decisions because you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, did I make the right one? But it doesn't matter because it's the one I've made. Yeah, and I find um, one of the things that I'm poor at from a leadership perspective is I think setting expectations. Um, and I think – and I'd say accountability. I don't think holding people accountable is – the if you know you like really have to – what is – at the end of the day, let's get down to the root issue – the root issue is never really accountability. If you set clear expectations and the accountability is easier to keep people accountable because you have it. Like when I don't set realistic, if I don't set expectations of others or myself, then what am I keeping them accountable to? Exactly. Hey, like, uh, like, uh, 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 basically, uh, you're basically, uh, it's almost like trying to catch something in a, in a wave pool. Like you can't put your hand on it because it keeps kind of swimming around in the water. Like, so that's something that I've been trying to focus on of like, okay, this is what I want. This is how we're going to do it. And it's not to be, you know, the hard ass manager. It's basically to say, 
I just want I just want you to know exactly what I want. So then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we know what we're doing. Here's the job description. Here's what we got to do. Right. And let's just make it happen versus me being, because that's something I know it's a weakness of mine is I have to be more direct and say, this just needs to be done. Not, not in a way of like a dictatorship, but just more of like, right. I'm the leader. I'm going to set the next line of like, boom, 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 what needs to be done. And then you're going to help me execute on it. Well, I mean, one thing I tell my staff every day is I set the tone and direction. The rest is up to you. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, I, I'm going to set my expectations. I'll set the tone on, and, you know, I will set the, the timeline and the direction. But, you know, I'm going to give you the freedom to figure out how to do it. But you know what my expectation is. And there, then that, for me, and at least with the wonderful people I work with, makes them accountable because they know that this is the outcome that is expected. Yeah, one of the things that I'm trying to focus on more is piggybacking off of that is I'm a pretty hands-off. I like, I delegate stuff and I, I hate micromanaging. Yeah. And and I really don't have an issue with letting things go because I remember when we first talked, like, okay, this is gonna be a hard thing. Maybe we have an assistant. Like the first thing I let, and I, I was actually like, reading up about this and listening to podcasts and kind of figuring out like what is what is the first the hardest thing to give up people were like email and scheduling those are the first two things i gave up because they took the most time out of my day mm-hmm. so like my email is constantly nick is going through my email constantly throughout the day where i get done here and instead of having 30 things there might be five because she's taken care of it she's deleted it she's filed it she's done whatever and then whatever's there is stuff that hey galen this is for your eyes or you need to figure it out and that is such a freeing thing that I can look at and be like, oh, I can actually get done my stuff, go home and not feel like I have just tasks I got to keep right. doing because then I get the family time in it. And, and then also, um, I mean, that's number one. And then the scheduling stuff is just like chaotic. Like with, this, with the podcast, like she scheduled the podcast with you. Like I used to do that. I used to set my appointments. I used to schedule. Now it's like, I just like looking at my week at a glance and just seeing things dropped in and being like, great. Okay, perfect. That's scheduled. And, you know, you do work to get to the level where people want to meet with you or do whatever, but it's, it's just to sit there and be like, okay, what time do you want to meet? Five, five thirty, And it mm-hmm. gets tough. And it's like, um, and that's a lot of stuff that she's really good at. And I, I'm not going to make a difference. Like I, you know what I mean? It's not like I, I'm trying to look at what it is my skill set best used for and, you know, eventually getting through. And the one thing when she came on, it was like, you're an extension of me. You're basically helping like what I have to do in my position, you're my sidekick to make sure that we're elevating the company and that it's going up. And it's not like I can't do it. Like I'm maxing out and then it's like everything else. It's just, we need the tasks never really change the tasks Mm -hmm. build. And as the tasks build, there's too much to take on. And then you need more people all doing those tasks. At the end of the day, any business you strip it down to, there's always someone that started it or someone that like led it. And it's adding on all the extra, like, against um, tasks that you grow into and bring on mm-hmm. and then saying, okay, I'm maxing myself out. I need help. And you're way better at this stuff. Like, you're going to just run with this and, like, right. and let it go. And, and it's really important, and we've talked about this in the past as well, is recognizing that work-life balance. Yeah. And finding people to help you achieve that work-life balance because, you know, there are times when you think to yourself, my kids are growing up and you do occasionally miss like the 
the recital or the, mm-hmm. you know, an important event. And so it's kind of finding people to help you achieve that work-life balance. Well, I, I was an odd kid. I say odd kid. I've always someone that like, I think I acted older than I was. Kind of like an old soul kind no. of person. Oh, no, I know. My <laughs> wife will be like, you literally are playing like Sudoku so, or a crossword. Uh, but the uh, I remember getting into real estate and I got a lot of this from um, having seen my dad when I was growing up because my dad's in real estate and I right. just remember him at every sporting event. And that was something, of course, back at the day, at the time, it was like, oh, that's cool. Mom and dad are here. And like, you, you, like it's cool, cool. And then as I got older, I started realizing that not everybody on the team can say that. Like, hey, Johnny's parents haven't come to a game ever. I've never mm-hmm. seen his parents at a sporting event. So, and I kind of, you know, as you get older, you kind of start to appreciate stuff more. So then I remember getting into real estate. And one of the reasons I got in was because of um, the ability to set my own schedule. And then I was like 20, 21 when I had this thought. I was like, at some point in time, I'm going to be married with kids. And I don't want to be in a position where I cannot give that time where I can make my schedule to make sure I don't miss anything. Right. So, I mean, that was over 10 years ago. I had that thought. I mean, that was years before I ever had a kid. I Years before I met my wife. And... I basically busted my ass to get to the level where I'm like, okay. And especially when I first st- I started to meet, when I met Gina, knew that we were probably going to be together. Kind of, you get that feeling of like, okay, this is this, this is the one. So that whole time, I was now like, okay, things are now going to be accelerated. So I kind of basically kicked myself in the ass and said, you're going to, you know, you now have to like step up your game. And that was about 2004, about 2015 to 16. And we got married in 17, had her kid at the very end of 17, and I worked hard, 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 hard to get to the point where I wasn't, real estate evenings and weekends are usually very high traffic time for realtors. Right. My thing, if you really look at my schedule, I've been able to get to the point where my evenings and weekends are almost completely off. Um, and it took a lot of time to do. And I knew in order to get to what I'm doing now, you had to be at the, like, you had to get to like the peak in order to do that because most people can't do that. And that was my driving motivation to get to the level that I'm at. And now I'm trying to maintain it and keep growing it. Mm-hmm. But it was the idea, like I've been, I've spent a lot of time with my kids and like, I haven't missed a whole lot. And yeah, I mean, every, you have to go to work, so it's not like I see them all day long, but it's, I, you know, I probably put them to bed 29 out of 30 days a month. Like, you know, I'm act like weekends. I don't really leave the house on weekends. Like I'm kind of like a hermit where I just, cause I hang out with the kids all weekend. I hang out with Gina. Like that's my time to just chill. I want to wake up, make coffee, hang out all day, do stuff around the house and, but have dinner with them, have lunch with them. And then, you know, um, but it takes a lot of time to get to that. And that was kind of like the work-life balance. That was such a huge thing for me because, like I said, as soon as you have kids, like, I don't want to miss anything with these guys. Right. Like, my little guy's like, I think we have to go to, like, a school open house thing to, like, hey, this is the classroom. Get them introduced to the classroom. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, absolutely. That's my schedule. Like, I already went through and I have all the time blocked off to bring them to school. Like, those are off. I'm not – there's no appointments. Like, I'm. that's my, you know, barring something crazy that happens. Like, right. those – like, now I've just completely changed my whole day – to involve dropping off, like driving him, dropping him off, hanging out with him. And then like, and it's cool. It's fun to be able to have that ability to do it, but it takes time to get there. And that's kind of one of, as of right now, one of my proudest moments that I've want. That's a big goal of mine was to do that. And that I'm now 
kind of seeing that through because I, I could miss a ton of stuff. And luckily, I like, again, knock on wood, I'm, I'm not right now. And I hope never to. <laughs> well, it's important that you're conscious of it as well. Yeah, that, I'm very that, conscious that, of it. I think you, about it a lot. That you slot that into your life um, and that it, it's a priority, you know. Um, and I think that a lot of a lot of working parents are working towards that now not everyone um you know is of that mindset but i think that um it's it's really important to to understand that that you can't you can't work all the time Mm -hmm. you can't work all the time well uh i mean i work less now than i have in the last 10 i'd say eight years um two years ago i worked all the time I knew I had to because I had to get to the point where I could leverage out. Um, and other stuff, I was like, I'm willing to just grind my face off for a couple, <laughs> few years, probably three, four, five years, um, in order to get to the point where I could sit there and like take a breath and say, okay, now we're gonna, I'm gonna get to that next level where my head's above water. Now it's like we're kind of now. Now it's like rethinking everything. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. now we got to the point. We've built ourselves up a little bit of cushion. So now, what? Do, how do we move all the pieces of? You know, my mind, the company, like everything to make sure we're focusing on the right things and building the right things and building the infrastructure for that next growth phase. And that's, it's fun because now it's starting to excite me because I'm getting that excitement yeah. again. But it's it's also one where the hours that I'm willing to put into my week is less than it was before because mm-hmm. of the kids and also partly just energy wise because it's right. like, I mean, you know, like watching kids and working and watching kids, like very rarely do you have time just to like chill. Oh, yeah. Um. And it's stuff that I've, I'm actively trying to find that balance now. Right. So it's like I got the kid ones fairly good, the work ones good. Now it's like, how do I find time where basically Galen can be by himself and not answer to people and not have to think and not have to just and I say think thinking's good, but like I just want to like read. I just want to like relax and relax in the sense of. Not like I don't want to just like sit and watch TV. Like how can I relax and be productive, but I don't have to answer calls or be in appointments or, you know, or someone's expecting me to do something where it's like, okay, can I just have some time to myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard, um, actually I heard of this on another podcast. I need time, alone time to create. I need time to think. I need time to like process stuff and not feel rushed and not feel like, you know, stressed that I can just be like, okay, I got a free day or afternoon and I'm just going to think I'm just going to let things come to me and kind of get inspiration and then mm-hmm. and execute on it that is my next challenge of trying to find out where to slip that into my week and I'm working on it it's not fully there it's a, it's a work in progress it but always it's, a work in progress but it's like that's my next thing it's like how do I you know be a little bit selfish and say no this is my time and this is where I'm going to you know more for mental sanity of like right not feel like I'm just go, 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 where I can be like, okay, I can just, okay, it's just me. It's just me today. Like we're just chilling. I love my alone time because it's my time to recharge. Yeah. It's so important. It is really important because you know what, with, you know, three octave boys and, um, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this, but my middle son is a performer. He's a dancer. I am at the dance studio four days a week. Yeah. Okay. He teaches and he dances. And so honestly, that is my alone time. I sit in the parking lot and I listen to a podcast or I get my Kindle and read a book. And so for maybe the hour and a half, two hours that he's in the studio, I, I don't let, I don't look at my email. I don't answer phone calls because I'm so like, this freeing. Is, it's like, it ah. is because you know what? I know I have to be there. 
And I know that that's the time that I'm protective of Mm -hmm. because if I didn't have that time to recharge, I would, you know, get to the point where like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Was it the podcast? That's for me. It's like, I don't, my phone's not with me. It's over there. And like, it's, it's time where I can sit and think, and I don't know what's going on. Like, it's great. I can drink coffee. I'm talking to somebody. Most people that come on are my friends or I know them. Some people aren't, but they're people I'm curious about. So I get to ask them questions. And for me, it's just, it's fun because it is a little bit of like, Ooh, okay, I don't, I just, I'm just like, I'm, I'm focusing on one thing. I'm focusing on the person. I'm focusing on the conversation. I'm not right. focusing on like notifications, you know? And, and right. Oh, I have a meeting next Tuesday <laughs> kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, or did I miss something or did I have something come in or someone just text me? I got to take care of it. And, um, I mean, the other thing too is my phone is on do not disturb majority of the day. Like if you were to call me, it won't, it, you can call me. It's just going to go to voicemail. And it's not because I don't want to answer the phone. I just, it's distraction for me. Yeah. Because it's like stuff during the day. Um, I mean, unless you're on like my favorites list, which is a very small, it's like family and a very small select few people. Um, most call, you're better off texting me because every call will go to voicemail. And I always right. think if somebody, it's not that important, leave a voicemail or text me if it's important. If right. not, then whatever. And, and that's just a, like a perimeter I put for myself because if I answered every phone call that came in, I would get nothing done. I agree. I agree. I mean, my, um, even, you know, at an organization, I tend to let my staff take the messages because number one, I hate getting caught off guard. Mm -hmm. And number two, I let them do it because I said, listen, most of the majority of the calls aren't for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, then you become a directory. It's like, Hey, like, okay, wiring over to so-and-so. And, um, but nowadays it's like the, like email, text, like even exactly. like very rarely do I call people. I mean, I, I do call people if I need it, but most of the time I know it's probably going to voicemail. If I get them on the phone, great. Cause I'd rather call people if a conversation needs to be had, but I am aware that everybody's got lives. Everybody's busy. Things are going on. Like if I call you, like you might pick up and you might just say like, Hey Gail, what's up? And, but then there's times too, where like if someone calls me, I'm like, ah, just, I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta take care of this. Like Hey, I'm in an appointment. I'll call you back. I usually just do one of the quick texts like, Hey, an appointment. Can I call you later? Right. Uh, meaning I acknowledge you called me, but you know, I can't do anything. I right can't now. do anything right now. Yeah. And it's more of, I'm just being, you know, protective of my time right. because you know, like I said, I got a thing tonight. I got a thing going on. I got to get this done. I got a limited time. Right. Um, it's funny you say that because recently I needed to get a direct answer from an agency that we work with. Mm-hmm. And instead of sending an email, I just picked up the phone and called and she was shocked. She said, nobody calls anymore. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And she said, mostly it's email. And I said, well, uh, the thing is, emails are easy to ignore and I need an answer right now. And mm-hmm. she was happy to answer my question because it was time sensitive. But just the fact that she said, nobody calls anymore. I was like, you know what? Honestly, it it's actually true. Because I always tell people, if you really want to get me right away, it's better to just send me an email because it goes directly to my phone and I can read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... and- I, I like calling people. Same thing. If I need something done, I'm like, yeah, no, we're not doing email. I'm like on the phone, let's hash this out because it's right. going to take us about two minutes to hash it out versus a bunch of emails over the next three days. So, um, but most most people are pretty good. The thing is, if I, t- I tell everybody just email me because Nick's going to get it and she'll take care of it. If I'm in something, she's just take care of it and they said you'll get an answer way quicker. And it's not that I'm ignoring people. I'm just like, if you want a quick answer, that's the best route. Or right. if you text me, a lot of times I just screenshot an email to her and just like, hey, I'm not going to be able to handle this. Can you get it to him quicker so they're not waiting till tonight, which a couple years ago that was happening. 
Um, and a lot of it's just speed. It's just like you want to get, you want to be fair to people and get stuff to them, you know, in customer a, service. Yeah. It's customer. It's like a relatively quick right. time frame. It, you know, it doesn't have to be within the hour, but you know, you shouldn't be waiting eight, nine, 10 hours to respond to a text. I, I was doing that. I get home at night and like, here's like six, seven o'clock at night, like responding to people that oh, have been texting from yeah. the morning. And I'm like, uh, like, I don't want to look at my phone and have 15 to 20 text messages right. sitting there that are all different people asking about different stuff because I haven't taken the time because I'm in one right to the next to the next. And all of a sudden, five hours later, um, and that doesn't happen as much anymore. I'll have some stuff after this, but it's all stuff I can handle. Right. And right. Um, so I don't get that like, <gasps> oh, okay, right. anxiety levels like through the roof because I have messages and notifications and people asking me questions. And, um, and it, yeah, that, I mean that, and that is what happens when your organization grows, mm -hmm. is that you develop roles so that things become more efficient, and things become more, um, you know, streamlined. And well, yeah, and I heard this thing saying if there's an issue, identify it, find a system to take care of it. Bingo. And I was like, so simple. I'm like, right. Okay. Yeah, it's I, easier I just gotta like said post that done. up, like find an issue. <laughs> simplify it down like what's the actual issue just mm -hmm. find a system make it not be an issue anymore right well and you know having been married to craig one of the things that he taught me was always find the root cause always yeah. get to the root cause yeah. and you know i know when he came on his uh his podcast he told you about his favorite book excuses are bullshit totally true it is so true he uh i remember him talking about that and then there was oh one of the things and i've can you believe I listened to his podcast? I actually, I'm kind of shocked you did. But um, the uh, we did talk about the love story of you guys meeting. Uh -huh. So there's a sensitive side to Craig. Okay, He's got a sensitive a side. A little bit. Yeah. Um, so, but the one thing that I actually, and, and <laughs> Craig's actually Aussie voice plays from my head when I say the quote because he was the one that said it, <laughs> was if you say I can't or I don't, or I don't have time, he goes, again, that's bullshit. It's an excuse. He goes, you're not prioritizing. And that's come through my head a lot where, and I've used it in verbiage, partly because of the mental trigger. If someone says, yeah, I don't have time for that. I'm like, no, I, I'm not prioritizing that. I have time for it. I have time for anything, but what are you, you, but you can't do everything. So it's like, what are you prioritizing in the time that you have? So right. if you really wanted to, like say, I'm like, ah, I'm not working out right now. I just don't have time to work out. I'm like, well, no, 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 I'm not prioritizing time to work out or I'm not prioritizing time to, you know, learn a new skill or I'm not prioritizing a hobby because I don't, it's not because I don't have the time. I'm just not, I'm putting other stuff above that. And I remember Craig telling me that. And that's something that, that goes through my head a lot because that's kind of like the cut the bullshit, cut the excuse. Like, mm -hmm. no, I can't get that done. I don't have time. I'm like, Actually, no, I'm not because I'm consciously making an effort to do something different. So now that is going to go on the, in the mental shelf or go on the shelf and I'll, I will take care of that when the time comes. Right. Um, so that's something that that's, a, that's actually, I play that quite often. That's, and I got that directly from Craig. That was from his conversation it was basically the excuse or bullshit. You aren't prioritizing, you aren't prioritizing that task. And yeah, it's something cause it, it kind of, like I said, it gives me that like little kick to like. No, 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 that's an excuse. Don't get, don't let yourself get away with just making some like generic excuse. Like you're not, you know, it's a, you know, it's a problem or you're not doing it. And because why aren't you doing it? Right. And root cause, I'm not prioritizing the time to do so. Right. It's not that important to me. It's exactly correct. And I think that, um, you know, specifically when it comes to your day to day and it comes to what you choose to do, mm -hmm. you know, everything is a choice, right? Everything. Everything is a choice. Yeah. And, you know, um, 
I feel bad because one time Craig called me and I didn't pick up the phone. And he goes, why didn't you pick up the phone? I said, well, because I chose not to because I was in a meeting. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. and the thing is, it's it's also surrounding yourself with people who support that, you mm-hmm. know, support that for you. Yeah, my, my, I mean, as you know, I got like a group of friends that I rely on a lot and I talk to a lot and, and I bounce ideas off a lot and a lot of it's just to hear different opinions, hear different, like I'll talk to people about work stuff and they're not in real estate or I'll talk to people about, you know, people that are in different positions of life. Um, like I'll have a different conversation with you than I will with, you know, Aaron that I will with Meg, but mm-hmm. they are all different parts of my life and they're all like people that can give me different insights and then I kind of filter through and then, right. and, I, and again, people that will call me out on stuff and be like, well, no, you did, that was a problem. I'm like, okay, good. I needed that. Like I needed like the slap in the face of like, no, 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 that was a problem or you're not good at this or, or whatever. And not to, not to beat myself up, but more of like, okay, I'm aware of it. Okay. Bring that more to the priority level and mm-hmm. let's take care of it or find the system to make it right. non-existent. Well, you know, and, and I live by this philosophy is I, if I don't know the problem, I can't fix it. Yeah. You know, and identifying it is probably one of the harder things to do is if identifying what, or even accepting that it is a problem. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of it. It's like, you, you he said most of the time you're self self aware that there's a problem and uh, even when I'm like the leadership thing I'm like no 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 I'm not prioritizing I'm not setting the expectation okay how do I set the expectation how do I have the conversation of this is what I want without coming across as because I have that self consciousness of like well they're gonna think I'm like this dictator like do what I say and I'm like well no that's not the way I want to come across I just don't want to come across as procrastinating or lazy or inefficient because of lack of leadership on my part right um. And that's something I'm like, I'm actively trying to work on that. That's stuff that's like in the, that's, that's the new skill that I'm trying to learn. And that's mm-hmm. something I'm like, you know what? I'm talking about real estate. I'm good at real estate. The leadership stuff is new to me. So now I'm like, you know what? I'm not good at it. I got it. And I am aware of it and I accept that I'm not good at it and I'm better than I was, but I'm not there. <laughs> like it I'm not comfortable. Practice. Yeah. It and it's practice, practice right now. It's reps. It's like learning. Right. It's, it is. And, in and, um, in leadership roles, it's kind of one thing I, I, I've, said to staffs I've worked at almost every place I've worked with people who have worked for me I said I will always at least give you an explanation why I won't do something Mm -hmm. you know if I say no there's always a reason and I will always explain it to you because I don't want you to think that I'm just going to say no because I feel like it you know if I honestly feel that something is not going to happen or I can't do it I'll explain to you why at least you will understand where I'm coming from, and it's an honest response. Yeah, and a lot of times it's not a bad idea. It's just not right at the time. Right. Um, and I find there's certain, like, people have asked me all the time, like, what about this, what about that? And I'm like, this is a distraction. Like, I can do it. I know what I want to do. I have, like, my near-term goals, which, you know, a handful of years away, but that doesn't involve that. So, mm-hmm. therefore, good idea. And I got a, I got a document on a computer. I call it, uh, we used to be on my whiteboard, but I call it white, whiteboard to-dos. <laughs> and it is literally a mind puke of just thoughts and, and anything that comes out or if I send an email, I'll have a thought in my head. Ah, I like that idea. Email myself next day. I know I'm not going to take care of it. I'll copy and paste it to that massive work to do. And a couple times a year, I'll filter through it and I'll go through and be like, no, no, sometimes I'll just delete stuff. Cause I'm like, There's, that's like irrelevant at this point in my career or this point. And then I go through it and, and I might grab like, yeah, that's easy. We can do that one now or that one might be good or more timely. Mm-hmm. And then I'll bring those to the forefront and work on them. But um, yeah, a lot of it is just when there's so much stuff going on, 
he's back. You just gotta. Actually, yeah, we gotta wrap up because I um, the time. But but one thing that I did want to say, as far as um, gosh, where was I gonna go with this? Um, oh God, I forgot. My husband called. Her. No, that's fine. I was, I was talking. I was talking about um, prioritizing. I was talking about um, let me see, leadership prioritizing. Um, I can't remember. Um, I, I think ultimately. Uh, I think I was talking about my stuff. Oh, yeah, with all the staffs I've ever worked with um, also is that, you know, when you are honest with your staff or uh, honest with yourself, right, um, it's it's always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that um, our community is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. I think that everyone in our community is working towards something better and bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it's it's amazing that we have such a, a a motivated group of people in our community. You know, and so at the end of the day, uh, we live in a beautiful place. We live in a beautiful part of the country. We live with some really good people, and we don't we don't have a whole lot to complain about. Yeah, and that's that's why I'm very excited. I'm a very optimistic person. I know, and. And maybe that's a little bit of a uh, Aaron Benner rubbing off on me, but I think um, super optimistic. But a lot of it is because I'm excited to do it with people. I'm excited to do it with friends, and excited to like find like-minded people. And I'm like, okay, like the like-minded people, like it's kind of like you go walking through a crowd and just like, okay, you're one of those people. And eventually, you just establish relationships and you have those conversations and those brainstorming and those kind of like, you know, you grow those conversations that have you both kind of grow together. And next thing you know, like, okay, we're all in tune. We're all like at the same kind of goals in our different industries and our different ways. But at the end of the day, it's like, how do we go from, how do we level up? How do we get better individually within our organization, within within our group of friends, within our community, within our region? So it's like, you can see it. And if you get enough people kind of like rowing the boat in the same direction, we'll get there. And it's fun. That's what keeps me motivated. But you know, it's funny because I look at it like a jigsaw. You know, yeah, you need every piece in order to see the whole picture. Yeah, and that's, and I think I think the uh, the North Country jigsaw is like it's getting defined, and I think every yeah. every generation starts adding bigger. some pieces, and yeah, starts <laughs> it goes from like a twenty five piece puzzle to like a five hundred to a five thousand. So exactly, we're uh, we're keeping we're rolling, but. To be uh, to be fair to your uh, barbecue, which maybe won't get rained on, I, I or the audible, so. maybe the audible is now inside. Maybe a little, in, in, little indoor grill, little indoor. Uh, oh, yeah, just open up that rolling door. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, well, Karen, this was a lot of fun. I don't. There's we cut this short. There's more stuff we can talk about. We'll, oh, we'll, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll get together another time. Yeah, off of because now Mike. you know. Oh, well, that. But I said now you know. There's you have plenty to talk about because, like I said, we had to cut. We're like cutting this short. So you you were great. Oh, that's thank good. You. You're good. You're always great. I love talking to you. So, um, Karen, if anybody wants to reach out, help you out, volunteer, we need learners, donate, donors, to, anything, yeah, anything. Where can they find you? Um, we are actually um, new website www.lvcef.org. Um, also, um, reach out at info at lvcef.org. We're always looking for uh, tutors and learners, and you know any help that we can get. We're down in the bottom of Hawkins Hall, as you know, <laughs> by the computer lab. Yes, went and visited. That was uh, a lot of flashbacks to I know, uh, it's like, a decade ago. So, <laughs> um, Karen, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you guys, if you can help her out, please do. It's a great organization, and I know from my 
perspective of, of Karen or thoughts of Karen. She's a great lady who's doing a lot of cool oh, stuff with a, with a, a very big heart and hearts in the right place. And she's got to put up a Craig. So that's, I know for real, tank. right? She's going right through the gates of heaven. So, um, Karen, thank you so much. Um, that is episode 152 of the Galen Trombley show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley on Instagram at Galen Trombley and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling G A E L A N T R O M B L E Y.